Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is a born and bred Amazon guy. And he first was a seller, then turned aggregator. And today he's the founder and CEO of Crush Amazon, which is a full service Amazon agency for established D2C brands. And when he's not working, he's a typical outdoor guy and he likes food, biking, and travel, and ideally doing it all at the same time, and also exercising for, for fun. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Matthew Rosenfeld. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so much. Great introduction. Happy to be here. Well, happy to have you. So you have a unique approach to building brands because you deal with established D2C brands. And so what that means is they have built certain amount of brand equity and you don't want to disturb anything there. You want to preserve it. At the same time, they are jumping into an ocean where there are many others building brands very aggressively and frankly, in a more expert manner, because Amazon, as you know, requires a whole different approach to handling brands. So you developed a unique approach to doing that for established brands. So tell us what that is. Yeah, so we, we take a very brand first approach to Amazon, where a core part of what we're doing is trying to create a cohesive narrative for the brand. So aligning the narrative and the story they're telling on their website with what they're doing on Amazon, and then crafting that cohesive journey, where we're always thinking about what is the customer journey? And what are the KPIs associated with that for Amazon? Okay. So, I mean, when I think about it, really, this is no different than anybody else who really needs to build a brand, right? So you're not doing yeah. anything different, except that what you're doing is you're coming into the whole Amazon marketplace with a story already that is well-crafted in terms of its position. Yeah. So anybody else has to do the same thing. So whatever your message is, make sure that it's on the website. And then also it carries through to Amazon down to the listing. So that part is, I understand. But what I like about your approach is you link it back to the KPIs in terms of how the customers behave. Tell us a little bit more about that. So what kind of KPIs are you referring to? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because a lot of what we do is we talk to our brand partners about what their end goals are from a brand as a whole, right? So encompassing what they're doing on their website as well as on Amazon. And so a typical Amazon first brand is going to say, I want to do as much revenue and make as much profit as I can within the Amazon ecosystem. But a larger, more established brand where 95% plus of their revenue is coming from D2C, Amazon's incremental, may say, you know what, we actually have a little bit of a different goal for Amazon as a channel. 
we may want to look at Amazon as an acquisition channel where we can acquire customers for less than we can on Facebook or Instagram. And part of our product is consumable or there's a recurring purchase component. Maybe we don't offer that on Amazon. And so what a lot of what we're doing is helping them set up tracking and insight to understand, are we acquiring customers for the first purchase on Amazon? And then having them convert and become subscribers to our recurring revenue component on our website? And how are we best incentivizing that behavior? I see. So, but you know, Amazon does not want you to take their customer away from Amazon of and then to your website. There is an inevitable, if you like, travel from Amazon to direct relationship uh, if they trust it. So using Amazon as a customer acquisition tool, mainly because you have recurring revenues. So it, it could be for a number of reasons. Where what we're seeing is that given Amazon is a much higher purchase intent channel than a Meta or a TikTok or even Google, right? Your cost per acquisition is typically much lower on Amazon than it's going to be on any of your other paid channels. And so there are a lot of ways to use Amazon add for maybe a portion of your overall merchandising assortment where the goal is to introduce new customers to your brand but it's not going to ever be a core channel for you. And so that's a little bit of the difference is defining Amazon will always be incremental. And in what way is it going to be incremental? And then that core understanding influences the entire narrative and journey you're crafting for that Amazon customer to lead to the end goal of the brand. And the end goal being direct dealing. It might be direct, but it could be a number of different things. It could say, we want people to cross sell to another portion of our product line. We want them to subscribe on our website. We want them to buy an info product associated with this product from our website. There's a number of different kind of permutations um, or directions the customer could go in. Okay. All right. So, well, the incremental may sound a little bit to um what's the best way to put it? i guess not so ambitious but incremental also means slow and steady and as you know slow and steady always wins the race right so it's always the right approach so okay so for my listeners i just want to set up this conversation so they know what they're going to take away from this episode so what we're going to cover is first of all setting the right kind of objectives in terms of your approach on Amazon and then identifying the, the data points that you are going to track so that you know how you are progressing. In addition, we are going to discuss the, the ways you can convert the Amazon purchase into some kind of a direct relationship. Again, based on the objectives, because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, those objectives may be not necessarily just make a purchase. It may be something different that ultimately will benefit the brand and and grow the customer base. So, so this is a, a good conversation. What I like about it is most is the approach to the whole universe of building your brand on Amazon by using data 
according to clear objectives. So let's dive in. So we, you are coming in as a brand that has some kind of a following. So uh, give us some of those objectives uh, that would drive your experience of building the brand. So the key thing we want to understand with the brand is what portion of your entire product assortment are we launching, right? So in any given category, it may make sense to launch a subset. It may make sense to launch the entire assortment. And that's what we're really looking to understand initially. And so it's it's aligning to say, just for the sake of kind of abstraction here, our goal is to get website customers, right, for a cross-sell or through a cross-sell opportunity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sell our top seller on Amazon. We're going to introduce people to our brand on Amazon. And then our goal is to have them engage with the brand, be happy with their purchase, enjoy the product, and come back to us on our website to see what else we might have to offer. And so from a KPI perspective, we always want to put our best foot forward with Amazon. But it's very hard to kind of abstractly say what that goal may be. When we're thinking about metrics, we're always trying to optimize for click-through rate, conversion rate, and external traffic, and then let those kind of lead the charge in terms of which products are going to be the most, the best force for us um, at launch. Okay. So click-through rate, understandable. That's the key to getting the most exposure. Uh, conversion rate is a no-brainer. It's in fact click-through rate and conversion rate. I call them my two magic bullets for success on Amazon. Of course. So you maximize those, then you'll always be laughing. Uh, but what I find interesting is you mentioned external traffic. So that means you're utilizing the the attribution tags. So uh, for those listening, just to clarify. Make sure everybody's on the same page. If you are a brand registry seller, which means you have a trademark and then you registered on Amazon brand registry, there is a program called Amazon Attribution uh, that you must sign up for. And that actually goes hand in hand with brand referral bonus program, which means that if you drive external traffic to your listings, you will get up to, depending on the category, but usually approximately around 10% of your gross sales back from Amazon because Amazon loves external traffic coming into Amazon. So they reward you for that. So what are you tracking in terms of external traffic? Are you tracking sales? Are you tracking visitors or another metric? I know Amazon reports another metric. Yeah, so we're, we're mostly tracking sales. The issue being fully candid, like the tracking of attribution links is not great. So we find them to be typically somewhere around 60% accurate. What's, what's really interesting for us and the types of brands we work with is that they already have existing underlying branded search volume on Amazon before they enter the market right? Given their awareness in the space in general. And so when we talk about external traffic, click-through rate and conversion rate, these products we know have a very high certainty of from the day they lift, they will already have on a subset of terms, a click-through rate, a conversion rate, and a base of external traffic that is greater than some subset of their competitors. And so we can then leverage that to help drive the initial traction and engagement 
and much more rapidly become a top player in that given segment. Okay. So there's a few things here I want to understand better in terms of your approach. So let's tackle the external traffic first. So where is the external traffic coming from typically when you launch a listing? So there could be a number of things. So what we are driving, we are leveraging both SMS, email, and uh, abandoned cart email is, is a really big one for us. But the other side of it is, given the amount of spend the brand is putting through Meta, for example, there is already traffic coming to Amazon externally searching for that brand. And Amazon understands where they're coming from before they search. They may come from a the referring domain, maybe a Facebook, and then they're automatically searching for the brand. So there's a ton of external search volume underlying the entrance to the market. So now I understand why you say that attribution is only about 60% because you're not tagging every single visitor coming externally, right? So we aren't tagging, but we also, even when we are tagging, the attribution we see is still about only 60% accurate with the attribution links based on the data. So what we do also, just to qualify this a step further, is we do a lot of post-purchase surveying on the brand's owned and operated website. I see. And so we can get a gauge and understand where'd you buy the product? What led you to buy the product? What was that customer journey? And then compare that with the data we're getting from Amazon and the attribution links. Okay. But post-purchase sale survey on your website, how is that learning experience of buying on Amazon because they are not yet on your list, right? So it's a good question. So a lot of what we do is we'll say, okay, we have our lead magnet product, our top seller on Amazon, and there is a recurring revenue component. Maybe it's a water filter and you need the filters. We don't sell the filters on Amazon. So after someone buys the filter on our website, we're surfacing a post-purchase survey asking them where did they buy their initial product. And what we're monitoring for is when someone says, I bought it on Amazon, we then go a step further and say, what was your customer journey? Did you search for it on Amazon? Did you search for it through an email? Did you go after seeing a Facebook ad? And then we can kind of piece together what that journey really looks like for the customer. Okay. So your goal is really to map out how customers are ultimately making the purchase. Yeah, and where and where where is the brand getting the most value from those customers? Right. So what behavior should we be investing more in and incentivizing that's ultimately driving the highest LTV, right, for them? Yeah. So that's the lifetime value. Exactly. The lifetime value. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question for you. So I get those questions. You know, you all make purchases online. And I get those questions. I never remember where I bought something, you know, where I saw it first, right? So I just select the first option. (laughs) Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's hard, but you have something, right? It's having something is better than having nothing. So at least you have an idea. And also if they are, if people are consistently picking the same 
option, then you know that it's, uh, and it happens to be the first option on the list, then you will know. So you want to understand where they've seen your brand and where they made the purchase. Exactly. So if they saw it on Facebook and they bought it on Amazon versus your website, what does that tell you? Yeah, so that could tell us a number of different things. Number one, right, there could be a large portion of customers that may not trust buying on our website for one reason or another, right? They may have an underlying preference to Prime because they get free shipping, right? They may have an underlying preference because it already has their payment information. And so it actually informs a lot of potential testing that the brand can then do on their website to try and understand how can we better create that customer journey to make customers purchase on our site more. And then we can also try to go back and say, what types of ads are we running on Meta right now? And have we seen an increase in Amazon sales as a function of those ads? And if so, what audience were we marketing to and what types of ads were we running? Yeah. So I want to say something for my listeners. This conversation may come across a little bit like slow burning therapy type conversation because what we're trying to do is really uncover what is transpiring as far as how customers are behaving by looking at certain information right so it may get a little bit like we are lost wandering around in, in the woods, but we really are not because what we're doing is we're saying, okay, let's ask this question and then get the answer. And then let's look at what that answer may mean. And then based on that, let's take some, some actions so that we can get the desired outcome, right? So what I've just heard so far uh, is you want to understand why people buy your product and where they find you and where they buy the product because how they find you may be different than where they make the purchase. And in some cases, how they find you may not necessarily lead to the same place that they are buying it. So they may make choices between the website versus the, because everybody's purpose is, okay, let's start selling on Amazon and then, but ultimately make them direct customers. So, but if you don't understand whether or not people would want to deal with you directly, then, you know, it doesn't matter what you want, right? So that they're going to still go with Amazon. So, okay, so far, click-through rate and your conversion rate and the external traffic. Now on click-through rates, what are the keywords that you are tracking for? Where are you getting the most success and what is the objective? Yeah. So we basically segment everything branded versus unbranded, right? Across the board for these brands. And so we're monitoring constantly click-through rate across all of our branded terms. And we're comparing that, not to throw in another metric, but we're comparing that with impression share, right? All the time. 
And so we're constantly looking at the relationship between our overall impression share, our click-through rate, where is that fluctuation on our branded segmentation and where is it on unbranded generic terms? And then where is that on competitive brand terms? And so those are kind of the three baskets at which we're looking at click-through rate. I see. So the first approach is branded and unbranded terms in terms of what kind of share of the impressions you're getting. Um, so I'm assuming that on the branded terms, you want a high impression share, right? So and you should have a high impression share. And what does that high number look like? So ideally, we would want our impression share on branded terms to hover north of 70 or 75% all the time. Okay. So that means that people put your brand name in the in the search box, search whatever the product name may be after that. So for example, XYZ water filters. Then you'll come right up and you want people to see... In, in other words, you don't want other sellers to appear uh, more than you. So you want 70% of the appearance to be with your listing. So that's the first one. How about on the uh, unbranded terms? So un unbranded is tricky, right? And this depends on, on what the size of the term, competitiveness of the term, et cetera. And so we take a relevancy first approach and say, we may not want to go after the largest, most generic terms, right? We want to go for the terms that are most relevant. And so when we talk about relevancy, we're talking about what is the average order value on those terms, right? How related are they to our product? How close are we in average sales price? And we'll go after a subset of terms to ensure that, to your point, our click-through rate remains high on those generic terms. Okay. So again, it's important to this conversation, of course, uh, for the listener's benefit, where are you getting that data? So we're, we're pulling that data. We, we do a combination of searches, but a lot of it comes from various tools, Helium 10, Zonguru, Jungle Scout. And then we're also pulling from um, brand analytics, a lot of data from brand analytics. Okay. Because to really know where your sales are coming from on a particular keyword and what your click-through rate and what your brand impression as far as I know, there's only one place to go and not Helium 10 or Jungle Scout. They try very hard, but they, they need yeah. to. So uh, this is called the search query performance, right? So you are pulling from search query performance because uh, until that was released, this data was not available. You couldn't. And you can also, when you look at when you look at search query performance and your search term impression share report from the advertising reports, if you put those together and run a report on top, that's where you can get a lot of really valuable data. Okay, so this is exactly where I wanted to go. So let's discuss that because this is very important for uh, anybody to get a, a 360 degree view of how you are performing keyword by keyword on your uh, listing. So, so search query performance, will give you skew by skew on weekly basis or on monthly basis. Uh, alternatively, you can have it across the board as what they call the brand view. So are you working with the brand view or are you going with the ASIN view? 
So it depends. In some situations, we do both. Typically, in the beginning, we start on brand view. So we'll go portfolio-wide. Um, and then as things get more mature, we'll start breaking it down by skew. I have a question for my listeners. Are you experiencing cash flow challenges with your Amazon business? Well, silly question. Who is not, right? So let me introduce you to Viably, a unique solution tailored for Amazon sellers and e-commerce enterprises. By connecting your Seller Central or Shopify account, you can promptly access funding along with a variety of financial tools, all for a flat fee. It's as simple as that. And for my listeners, they are offering an extra $1,500 in funding for eligible applications. Start your quick and easy application today at runviably.com forward slash legends. And that's runviably.com forward slash legends. Okay. So uh, let's make it simple because skew by skew, it gets a little bit too complicated. So yeah. if you pull the report at the brand view report, that's going to give you every single keyword either on weekly basis or a monthly basis uh, where your activity is coming from. And the activity may mean not necessarily sales. It will start with click-through rate. Well, it will start with the impression share. Impressions, yep. Yeah. yeah. So if you get impressions and you see that as a percentage of the total impressions, how much of it you are getting. And the next thing is click-through rate. And the next thing is the add to cart rate and then purchase rate, right? So how many of those? So tell us how you combine that with the search term impression share. That's in advertising, right? So that's if you're running paid ads, then you go to your uh, reports and under reports you have advertising and there you simply create a report. Again, you can take that for the for daily or a summary, you want to make sure, of course, you're picking the same time frame as the search yeah. query performance, right? So, and you run that report. That report has nothing to do with SKUs. It's simply keyword by keyword what you're doing. So what you are getting is on every keyword, how much money you spent and, and how much you generated in sales. Plus that report gives you total sales. Uh, your historic as well as your, uh, you know, during that time frame. So how do you combine the two? Tell us how you make use of that information. Yes. So what we're really trying to understand, again, segment branded versus unbranded, is on each individual term that the product and the brand is relevant to, what is your current underlying impression share? What is your impression rank compared to competitive products? And how is your performance on paid? Right. And so what you can then do is craft and understand where should we be investing? How should we be tailoring our listing? How should we be tailoring our narrative to be more applicable to the terms where we are finding that early traction? And so what it's really doing is further influencing what we are doing from a positioning perspective within the marketplace to be more relevant to those customers searching on those search terms. Okay. 
So, you know, the, the thing about data is you pull the report, like let's say, for example, you and I sit down and say, okay, let's now hone in on this particular account and then let's analyze. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to search query performance, pull the monthly report, let's say, for the whole month uh, brand-wide. And then we're going to go to the search term impression and pull the months, the same report for this, uh, the month. And we've got the keywords and then we're looking at it and we say, oh, okay, so we get a pretty high share of the impressions and looks like we have an acceptable click-through rate and blah, blah. Except that that's just frozen in time, right? We're looking at just that. So that data is changing constantly, right? So before you are, like, based on that set of analysis, you may determine that, okay, these keywords are giving us good business. People identify us with those keywords. Good. Well, come the next download, maybe completely upside down. So before you action on something, what is the consistency you want to see over time? Yeah, so we're tracking to your point. That's exactly right. So we're pulling all of this data and dropping it into a larger database, for example, that's tracking month over month fluctuations in the subset of terms we have started to focus on. So we will be tracking month over month impression share, month over month click through rate. Where are we seeing those fluctuations? And then we're recording any actions we're taking when we took them and then monitoring the impact on the terms that they're most applicable, that those actions are applicable to. And so we're, we're constantly trying to understand, for example, if we found that our water filter is applicable to dogs, right? For some reason, people want to filter the, the water for their dog. If we go and change our main image and start including a dog bowl with the water filter as part of that kind of journey or include that dog narrative in the images, what did that change from our click-through rate? How did that change our overall impression share? Did our advertising performance improve week over week, month over month? That's the exact journey we're trying to follow and what we're trying to communicate to our brands. Wow, that's brilliant. You know, I was just about to say something, but then uh, I'll say it anyway, but uh, I'm somewhat changing my mind about the, the conclusion I was making in my mind. So, uh, so what you are doing is you are looking at, there's a few things you said key. First of all, you are looking at, instead of doing one, one set of analysis, you are doing that several times. And what you are checking is really the trends. Is the impression share going up or going down? Or is it the same? If And then based on what you see, you are... Of course, you are always looking to increase your conversion, right? So that's the ultimate goal. So in order to increase your conversion, you are trying to make it more relevant to whatever the search term is. And then, and of course, all roads lead to the main picture, right? So that yeah. gets you the most click-through and then therefore increase your 
pool of candidates who will buy the product on the product detail page. And then you're taking action. But another thing that you mentioned is you're tracking the events. Yeah. So that means that if you change the image, somewhere in your analysis, that event change has to show up and it tell you, right? So how do you do all this? I mean, what is the what is the tool that you use or how how do you because there's so much that is being done? Yeah, so we we built out a lot of this tracking in Google Sheets. And so we've built out a database where we can drop in month over month impression share, search query performance, all of that. We then can pull it into the database sheet that is going to analyze that performance month over month. And then we've got a separate tracker within that sheet that's tracking actions taken. And so we'll segment data by action and by date. And then the, the following columns when we pull in the new data and look at the performance over time will be after action, right? So we look at it as before and after action taken, and it's all tracked in one, one sheet. Okay. So that, that's quite a basket to put all your eggs in. It is. It's quite a basket. And I think the, the one thing I always come back to here is we are looking at Amazon differently than most people look at Amazon because we are not saying we want Amazon to be as large a revenue channel as possible. And so it's a very different lens to say we have one goal in mind and that's what we're trying to optimize for. And we can tailor our entire tracking, entire KPI dashboard, everything to that one specific goal for the brand. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, what you are doing is, in fact, what everybody should be doing, right? I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, what is the goal? The goal is to maximize your impression share and... Amazon is going to give you more and more of those impressions if they find that you're relevant to the keyword. So starting from the zero point, you get certain amount of impression share, then you're going to get certain amount of click-through. So the goal then becomes increase the click-through rate. So how do you increase the click-through rate? You make the main picture relevant to the search term. That's what you're doing. <laughs> so, uh, and then... Yeah, once the customer or potential customer clicks through your listing, the next thing you're doing is maximize the conversion. So how do you maximize the conversion? So you, you provide the content with the A plus and the bullets and, and, uh, and, and everything else, uh, your videos, you know, how convincing uh, you are with the information you provide that will get you the purchases. And again, you make it relevant to the search term out of 100 search terms, if you can hone in on the top 10, 15, and then you make your content relevant to those, well, you're going to get your conversion go up, right? It's very simple. That gives you more sense. So it's not, uh, this this is extremely smart in the sense that you are also looking at with the search term impression where your money is going. So if you are building content to increase conversion uh, on certain search terms, but your spending is fairly anemic on those search terms, why increase the spending, right? So that you can dominate even further. So, Exactly. 
you know, you are extremely, uh, I would say, uh, uh, crafty because you present this whole thing like, you know, oh, you know, we're not trying to drive revenue on the, you know, but actually this is exactly what you do. This is drive revenue. Well, it, it is. And, and to your point, a lot of what we're doing is figuring out how do we invest resources and allocate resources with the highest ROI. And so we may say, based on the terms we're uncovering, we need to go make a new video ad. Right? Or we need to go completely redo our A-plus content. It's just not relevant to where we're seeing that traction. And so everything we're doing, to your point, it's about revenue. It's about being crafty. It's about driving results. But it may be within one very specific niche or area um, of where we're trying to drive that performance. Yeah, 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 cool. So what I was going to say was earlier when I said, uh, you know, I was I almost uh, changed my mind is... After so you you tracking keywords, impression share and uh, click through rate, so on and so forth, over time before you take action, are you actually able to see any consistency in any of these fluctuations? Are you talking before we take an action? Yes, I mean of course. Ultimately, you wanna follow it through if, if you see consistency you're going to follow it through with action but what i'm curious to know is you look at data data is all over the place it's up and it's yeah. down and it's up and it's down and then and, and you know you don't know so i want to know do you do you actually see consistencies or are you at some point saying you know what okay we've seen it twice it's enough so what is what is it that you see out there it's we we do see consistency and that's what's interesting like we are taking such a narrow approach where we are looking for consistency we find where that consistency is so what subset of keywords is there consistency on and we double down there and so that's exactly what we're trying to do so to your point a lot of the data is all over the map there is not consistency across a number of terms what you start to uncover is that there is across maybe 10% of your terms and they may have the highest relevancy in terms of average sales price. So that may be where we're most applicable, where most of our top competitive brand terms are showing up. But what we can do is over time, find consistency and then start tracking improvement week over week on that subset. I see. So, uh, so what I was thinking was, you know, so this is not like uh, what Freud concluded. So do you know that uh, they asked Freud uh, about the conclusion that he came to out of all his studies about women? He said, after years of careful study, he said, I found the answer to every question about women, except one. And that question is, what does a woman actually want? So, <laughs> so, so in your case, I'm thinking, is this data the fluctuation? Is there any consistency? Are you finding any consistency? So, so what you're telling me is yes, we are finding some consistency, except that it has to be very narrow. Very narrow. And that's really what we've found is driving the best results, right? You're not going to be everything to everybody. You're not going to be the perfect fit 
on maybe the top five terms with the highest search volume, right? You might not be as applicable in those spaces, but if you can uncover where you are, craft the journey to be more relevant to that subset, and then also have that align with the highest level KPI for the brand, that's where you start to really see the flywheel spin. Okay. So when you say narrow, you're talking about the number of search terms that uh, will give yep. you that consistent increase. So what happens, let's say that you narrowed it down to five, six keywords and you are completely dominating. You know, you made the tweaks to your content, the picture or, or whatever, and you are completely dominating on those and it's generating X in terms of revenue. And then you plateau. So what happens then? So in that exact situation, we'd start prospecting. So we'd start going out and we'd start the cycle over again. And we'd try to figure out how can we add another subset onto what we've already optimized for. And then to your point, what you're tracking week over week and month over month is how much are we seeing improvements in this new prospecting acquisition-oriented campaign right approach that we're running? And are we seeing decreases in where we kind of optimized? What's the delta there? And are we seeing more gains than we are decreases across the board? So what's the net improvement overall? But the where this gets a little bit complex is we're tracking a lot of on-site action as well for the brand. And so we may see external factors start to fluctuate when we start adding in new strategies on Amazon. And then we have to make the decision of were those strategies worth it based on what's going on for the brand as a whole. I see. Yeah, because it becomes a matter of input versus output. So if you are if you are increasing the input, obviously the output is gonna go up. And then you can't just compare it to another time where you you've had no input in the first place. So okay. And the on site being your website. The own mostly Shopify sites, exactly. Yeah. So you are tracking your on site activities against what the results are on, on Amazon. Okay. All right. So this ultimately, so what you are really doing at the end of the day is that click-through rate and the conversion rate that you described as your main KPIs that you are tracking, uh, you are driving those by honing in keyword by keyword. Are you doing that at SKU level or are you always sticking to brand? So it depends on the assortment. If there's a that kind of idiosyncratic assortment of products, we do it on the SKU level. If there is not, we do it on the brand level. Okay. So, uh, and again, at SKU level, usually you have variations, right? Exactly. So... What, what would you say if you had a number of different products doing it at brand level, uh, would that be good enough for you? Or would you then want to say, no, I want to do this on at SKU level? I would start for a while at the brand level, right? The brand level will give you enough data for a pretty considerable amount of time. And when you start digging into SKU level, it's for that last, in our opinion, that last maybe 15%. Yeah. Plus... 
your search term impression share report is not at SKU level anyway. It's it's giving you no. per keyword. Yeah. And you're you're then having to go in and basically segment those keywords, which we do it once in the beginning. So we basically break out the keywords by product group, and then we build our own sheet to then pull in all subsequent data and apply it to the correct products. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can see this being extremely valuable and SKU level will only be an incremental gain for you. So if you do it and making it at brand level will, will be much, much more simple. Otherwise it just goes crazy. It gets hard. Yeah, it gets, okay. it gets confusing. So I have a question for you in terms of variations. So let's assume that you have six variations under a parent. And you are, you are running ads, you're doing your organic traffic, external, it's all coming. And then you look at it, and out of those six variations, you have two of them converting at, I don't know, 32%, 38%, which is not bad, not like perfect, but it, it's okay. And then the other four are running around 2%, 8%, 11%. What do you do? How do you handle that situation? It's a very good question. This would tie back a lot to, in our specific situation, what is the goal or KPI of the brand as a whole? And where does Amazon fit in as a puzzle piece? There would be a number of different considerations. One, are those SKUs that are converting poorly and have a poor click-through rate dragging down the performance of the listing as a whole, right? Is it even worth having them on Amazon? Based on the scenario you gave, my recommendation would be no. There's no reason why we should have those listed. We should focus where customers are really engaging and we should stop offering those products and just look to improve our net click-through and conversion across the board. So there is an idea. Tell me what you think about it. So when you have a situation where, as I described, uh, a couple of the variations are cannibalizing the sales on the others, because by design, Amazon will show the top performing variation in the search results, right? So no matter what happens, that's what's going to show up and that's what people will land on. And then they have to click on the other variation, whether it's by selecting from a dropdown or a clicking on a tab or whatever, which is another click. And and nobody wants more clicks than necessary. So uh, you end up selling more and more of the one that is being shown the most. And the more it's shown, the more it's bought. And the more it's bought, the more it's shown. So the rest just will suffer. So um, the idea is, take those variations, separate them, and put them under a different parent and drive traffic separately to those. What do you think about that? It's an interesting strategy. I think I think overall it would it probably this is just conjecture, my opinion. I don't think that would drive a huge boost in performance for the brand as a whole. I think it would require an increased investment in paid. I think it could add a little bit of confusion for consumers across which listing they're looking at. And from a brand perspective, experience perspective, I don't think it's the best. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this this idea came about when actually I, I, I have a client who has this. They have 10 variations. And the 10 variations are not that complicated. It's obviously too many, but they basically offer two sizes and five colors. And it's an industrial type of product. It's a fairly high ticket item. And of course, out of those 10 variations, one size and one color in that size doing the most yes. sales. So, and it happens to be the higher price point. So it's not necessarily associated with low price. So, of course, we're trying to see what to do and um, nothing has been done yet, but there are two ideas. I'll let you know what happens once we run the Please. experiment. <laughs> we want to run because they do have the, there is demand. It's just not as strong. I would say something interesting we've been doing is reframing the way in which we're looking at variations and trying to understand where we're going to unlock the most value from variations. And when you think about e-commerce, right, in general, you're looking at traffic times conversion rate times price is going to equal revenue. But what if we looked at variations as a way to increase order value, right? But you can perceive from a customer perception, you can make it look as if they're getting more value, but really you're increasing your AOV and your margins improving, but it seems like it's positioned as a better deal. A lot of what we're now doing is bundling as variations, right? So we'll do a color and size or something of that sort start bundling on the top sellers to increase the order value and then increase the revenue of that listing. And so we're always basing it on, to your point, what are those top selling SKUs within the variation family? And then how can we better offer to customers a, an assortment of products that will increase the AOV? This is another great idea. And I love the fact that you brought it up uh, because just last week, I was working with another client of mine, and what we're trying to build is the model. What is the model? And it's basically one single product. But what we're trying to do is exactly what you suggested, where let's create packs. Packs are multiple pieces of the same item. Bundles are different items put together. So uh, we want to offer packs. So then the question became, okay, how many pieces can we pack into one single item without changing the FBA tier? And what kind of a profit does that make us? And at the same time, offer the most perceived value because something that's 20 pieces in a pack versus 30 in a pack that's a huge difference from perception standpoint. And at the same time, if your FBA fee is the same, that's what you want, right? So, uh, and it's a very difficult thing because if you increase the number of pieces, the dimensions will change and the tier will shift. So it was a real tough, but we built a model where you can simply plug in the number of pieces and then, uh, but you, you, first you start with a core unit and then you have the dimensions and the weight. And then immediately it gives you an approximate maximum number of pieces you can plug in. 
And then you simply configure the pack size. And then once you configure, it gives you the maximum quantity and the profit you're going to make from that. So it's a great model. And it and if you go over, it immediately flips to the next tier. Yeah. The other thing I would say that we're testing that could be really interesting is, say you have a top-selling SKU, it's FBA, it's prime, click-through rate is very high, that's the ace in your advertising. Why not do FBM bundles, but provide more value? So before you actually go to the trouble of potentially kidding, sending to FBA, setting that up, position it as an FBM bundle, test as many permutations of it as you might want, figure out which one actually has the best engagement and best AOV, and then send that into FBA. Yeah. Well, you could do virtual bundle. But virtual bundles do not see nearly the engagement as a variation. Well, they, they, you can't do variations with virtual, apparently. No, but you can do variations with F, anything you want if they're FBM. You can just make the skew. Yes, yes. And then yes. you can test every single option before having to kit it and send it to FBA. And so you yeah. get all of the data you need to make the decision on what bundle is going to perform best. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm trying to get away from fulfillment as much as possible so that you can yeah. just work with data. Uh, but we discovered that, uh, so, you know, the, the, that same client that had that uh, 10 variations, um, they, they, they sell floor kits and one variation has 300 square feet. The other has 600 square feet as the coverage area. So what they talk about customer journey. I give you this one. They saw some people buying 300 and 600 in the same order. You know what we did? We created a virtual bundle and marketed it as 900 square foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we didn't even advertise. No PPC running on it, no nothing. It just was a listing we created as a virtual bundle. And uh, so, and by the way, just so you have an idea, the price point is like $400 plus on the 300 and almost $700 on the 600. So this is like a heavy, heavy high ticket item. So it was a great find in terms of looking at the patents. That's really interesting. I just wrote down a note on that because that's really interesting. Yeah, $1,200 a pop. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I love that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, this is like, uh, you remember the movie Jaws? No, Jaws, yes. Yeah, the old movie. And uh, at night, they're talking, all three of them, and they're showing each other the scars. Oh, look at this scar and look at that scar. This, yeah. this conversation reminded me of that scene from that movie. So we, we can go on forever. I mean, there's so many. Forever. So I love the conversation, but obviously we're going to run out of time. So before we go, I want to get to know you a little bit. My favorite part of the show. So let's talk about you. So uh, who is Matt Rosenfeld? So tell us about you. Take us back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? And tell us about your life journey. Yeah, so I'm, I'm originally from California, the Bay Area, just north of uh, San Francisco. And I've always been pretty active, 
But when I look back, I've also always liked products, which is funny as a part of the journey. And I think the interesting thing in terms of when I look back on my upbringing and childhood and the people I looked up to and, and what they did, a lot of it in my area was tech, right? So it was service products. It was technology. Um, and I never understood the physical product side of business. And I think what what's so interesting now in what I do is somewhat combining technology and data with the physical product side. Um, and it's, it's funny because in my personal life, my biggest hobby, I would say that requires a product is mountain biking. So I love mountain biking and I've, I've searched long and hard for a way to get into the mountain biking space. How can I start a brand? How can I start selling something in that space? But it's funny because I'm so reliant on data now and making these decisions that even because it's like a passion driven thing I want to do. I can't figure out the best way, best way to do it. Um, but in terms of who I am, you, you covered it pretty well in the beginning. I'm, I love traveling. I love eating. I'm very outdoorsy, hiking, biking, running, anything like that. I'm, I'm game for always. Um, and I would say I love working with and talking to great people, right? That's really what kind of keeps me going. That's what I love so much about the agency um, and running crushes, I get to talk to people like you. I get to talk to incredible brands. I get to learn new things every day that I can take and go immediately test across five different categories. And the people that you work with are so open and so willing to share info. Um, it's really just a, a gratifying place to operate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the, when I was very young, you know, you in college, don't know anything about work life. And I used to hear about, oh, you know, you better learn everything that you can because once you start working, nobody's going to teach you anything because they don't want you. Yeah. That couldn't be so wrong. Uh, it, it, it's, I, first of all, I love teaching people myself. And, and I love learning and people are always willing to teach. So that concept does not really apply because people are always learning and they understand that they can always learn something from each other. Yeah, but what I'm curious about is where was your interest in products? Where yeah. did that come from growing up as a kid if you were surrounded by tech? So I, I don't know. I think... Where I really got introduced and interested in products was actually in college. I studied abroad twice in college. Once I studied in Shanghai and I had a summer internship uh, working in, in manufacturing. And so working at a large manufacturing company. Um, very interesting. Like my first introduction to product. And then I studied abroad again in Copenhagen in Denmark very product-centric, design-centric, experience-centric, but the polar opposite of the way China and Shanghai view product and product development. And it was those two, I think, experiences with design thinking, product innovation, all of those courses I was taking in Denmark coming together to make me understand how interesting 
the product world and product journey really can be? So before going to China and Denmark, you had no interest in product? I didn't really. I didn't really have any interest in products. Um, all the other kind of entrepreneurial endeavors I'd done were on the uh, paid advertising side, but for content, not for uh, physical goods. How about your interest in travel? So it's interesting. So I was fortunate as a child, my parents loved to travel. And so we traveled all the time uh, to interesting, interesting places. And I always loved like bringing home like trinkets from anywhere we went. So like physical products, anything interesting. So I love engaging with other cultures through product, which I think is also why I love food so much. I think you can learn so much about new cultures by engaging with kind of what they use in their day-to-day -day life, what they eat in day-to-day -day life. Um, that's always been interesting to me. I've never made that connection, but there's definitely something, something there. Well, I have a theory for you, Matt. Yeah. I think I have a pretty accurate theory. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you love traveling because travel is experience and that's what's been put in your DNA. You know, you've been conditioned, you know, as a kid, right? And those trinkets are the early products, which remind you to the, the pleasure of travel. So now yes. that now it's become the interest in the products that are sold, which is your main activity. Yes. But really all it is, is it's just a reminder of how much you enjoy traveling. So you associated the products with the pleasure of travel. So that, that to me, you know, as soon as you said, you always brought trinkets. Yeah. I just wrote this down. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I've always loved like having those physical things to, it's also, I think they help mark moments in your life and memories. Yes. And yeah. so they bring back those feelings of where you were, what you were doing, who you were with. It's very interesting. That's what it is. It's the memories and the memories, of course, are, we are always fond of those memories during travels. Uh, you know, another thing that you associate with those memories and travels is music yes so you always remember oh you know this was the music when we were traveling back in uh, you know whenever and we were doing this with and i still when i hear those musics that you know were always either from summer vacation after high, high school or college or whatever you know something inside of you moves right so you always yeah. think oh, it was such a great time so that's what it is. So it's, it's amazing how people uh, keep those things that, you know, you can't pay enough money for it, right? Well, this I was can't. great, uh, Matt. Uh, I love the conversation. I love how Likewise. you connect things. So tell us, uh, how can people reach you? Give us your contact. Yeah. So our, our website is very easy to remember. It is just crushamazon.com. Um, and my email is just matt at crushamazon.com. Happy to chat anytime, share information, share strategies. Um, would love to chat with anyone interested in, in what we're doing. Or if you think we could be doing something better that we're not thinking about, I would love to hear it. Um, so feel free to ping me anytime or, or check out our website.
Great, great. Um, and I'm sure you will hear from people, especially from travel enthusiasts. So we have so many of those. And uh, it's a great conversation. Thank you for being here, Matt. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Before I go, a quick reminder to say goodbye to your cash flow problems and claim your extra $1,500 when you qualify for $25,000 or more in funding. Go to www.runviably.com forward slash legends and start your application today. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.